0: Hey, everybody. Just before we get started, I wanted to tell you, uh, in case you didn't know, that we have a membership program at The Incomparable. Go to com slash members. Uh, You sign up and you get bootlegs, which is instant post recordings of everything that we've done, um, sometimes weeks before the episode gets posted, unedited, before and after conversations, lots of great stuff. I am now starting to roll out some episodes of The Incomparable, including this one where there's also bonus conversation before and after the episode. And that's going to become a regular thing next year. There's a lot of other bonus content in the first class feed, including commentary tracks. We've got a new commentary track that we're recording um, later this month. That's going to feature John Syracusa. And we're going to talk about Kiki's delivery service Um, so much. uh, If you like Total Party Kill, our D&D podcast, the live session feed has more than a year of stuff that we haven't posted yet so there's a huge amount of stuff that you can subscribe and get plus you will support your favorite incomparable podcast it can be this one it can be some of the other ones on the network you just check the box about which ones you want to support so please give it some thought uh, the slash members the incomparable number 592 december
1: 2021
0: Welcome back everybody to the Incomparable. I'm your host Jason Snell. This is an episode about uh, this season of Doctor. Who which just completed. It was very short six episodes. there was one story it was called Flux and I am joined by uh, experts and also people from the UK, some of whom are experts uh, to talk about <laughs> Doctor. Who because that's what I that's what I want in my Doctor. Who talk. Uh, These are all people who also joined me at some point on my Doctor Who Flashcast this season, uh, which there were six episodes of because, again, short season. Uh, Joining me to talk about the latest in Doctor Who are James Thompson. Hello. Hello. I'm ready to talk about Dr. Phlox from Star Trek Enterprise for an hour. All right. Denobulin. Denobulin. Uh, Anthony Johnston is here. Hello.
2: Hello, Jason. I podcast for the glory of Santar.
0: Oh, Santar-ho. (laughs) Santa <laughs> ha. Uh, Erica Ensign is here. Hello.
3: Hi, there are actually three of me. Uh, a different one will be talking like every other time. So just get used to that. One
0: of you is back in the Matrix episode right now, though. It's <laughs> <that's> very confusing. <laughs> and Stephen from, from, uh
4: like Erica, from uh, most notable Doctor Who podcast, Lazy Doctor Who. Hello. The most notable one, the one that's (laughs) been very lazy. uh, And then, and what what we'll probably do is just uh, cram about six episodes worth of uh, podcasts (laughs) into a half an hour, and then it'll be basically be our our reenaction to Flux. Yeah. Yeah. Unboxing day. Why change the habit
2: of a lifetime? (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
4: Okay. So.
0: This is a an unusual season for many reasons. Obviously, they were intending to do more episodes. The COVID hit; they changed their production schedule. They seem to have rewritten. It's unclear to me exactly what the original plan was and exactly what they changed because they seem to have deferred a couple of things into specials for next year. This is the last uh, set of episodes for. Uh, this plus the this, this specials next year for Chris Chibnall, the showrunner, and for Jody Whitaker. And so uh, it is, uh, you know, it, this is going to be a hard one to pick apart because, in the end, what's on the screen matters, but it is sort of fascinating to consider what circumstances brought them to this point and whether the original plan um, would have been different. Um, like, like the question, I don't know if any of you know, maybe Eric and Steven, you know, um, was do we know what the original plan was? Was this the same story they were going to tell, but expanded over 10 episodes, or did they th- literally throw everything in the garbage bin and then just sort of write something? Chris Chibnall wrote something at the last minute for this season.
4: It was B. It was B. They they had ideas. I know that Ed Heim, uh, writer of everyone's favorite uh, Orphan Fifty Five from uh, series twelve. <laughs> Uh, he also
3: wrote it takes you away. Yeah, which he also, I, think was I like better that recipe. one. Yeah. He, he also
4: wrote The Frog in the Chair. He uh-huh. was totally like like had a script, everything was ready um and uh like he, so he was one of many writers. I think that probably Maxine Alderson probably had a had a cracking uh, weeping a- angel story that they just couldn't afford to throw out because it was so good as well. Right. And basically because of COVID, kind of like the 1986 hiatus for doctor who they basically had all these scripts and said well we got to throw all these out and just do one uh season long story instead um which is shorter than our normal ones and that's exactly what happened here so i am i am really eager though to see where the dividing lines are where how much carried over was maybe this flux idea and original part of the original series 13 literally just as we press record the uh, Gallifrey one guest announcement went live and the producer for the past three seasons, Matt Strevens is uh, one of the guests and I very much look forward to picking his brain mm. as the timeline <laughs> of how all this came to be. Yeah. What happened
0: here? Because yeah, it's hard to believe that it was completely uh, come together from scratch. It feels it, this season felt more to me like they kept the uh, season long <clears throat> story arc part mm-hmm. and ejected, as much of the rest of it as they could. Although it does feel like the Centauran episode and the Weeping Angels episode were probably, because they feel standalone enough, that yeah. they probably were always intended as standalone episodes that tied into the story arc. But it seems like perhaps they compressed some things and then uh, ejected a bunch of stuff that was deemed uh, non-essential for a shorter run. That's my guess, anyway.
2: Although I have to say, if everything that's here was originally supposed to be incidental stuff around self-contained episodes, it would have been even more crammed yeah, and I doubt crammed that. that yeah. yeah, they must have added in new stuff. I mean, that would explain why uh, the villains just stand around doing nothing for most of the last episode. But yeah, they must have added in a whole bunch of new stuff to make this into this uh, single series.
1: Yeah, I think they should have ejected more from it and just (laughs) had a a, a mini series that was, you know, same length, six episodes, but just more focused. I mean, yes, the Weeping Angels and the Suntarans episodes. I I like the Weeping Angel episode probably the most of, of the six, but I still feel that it got in the way of the story. It just cramming in as many things as possible i
3: I don't know um, if i agree with that i think my favorite episodes were the first one and the last one i i enjoyed the crammed full
1: i liked the first one and and i i think i'm always at my most hopeful with the first part of a doctor who story Mm -hmm. and you know and i and when we talked about it on the podcast i liked it uh and i was like i i can't wait to see what they do with this and then it just kind of for me, they, they crammed too much in and then didn't deal with half of the things that they crammed in.
3: I guess I'm just used to Doctor Who not dealing with everything. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and that's, but... That's the thing that I've, I sort of have always found charming about it. Uh, that not everything is as fleshed out as you would like it to be not everything is always as you know like the classic series didn't really do character development very often so it just it always left lots of room for you to sort of color in your own ideas about stuff and I think in in many ways and not just that way this six-part series really felt more like classic Doctor Who in in so many ways that I think maybe it's just my crusty old fangirl heart that was like, yes, this is what Doctor <laughs> Who should be. Thank you.
1: I, I mean, we like we did say whether this is going to be a template for Doctor Who going forward, and I think it. I think it's still an interesting idea to have like this sort of more mini series approach to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we referenced Loki and things like that uh, as kind of a similar scope. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm I'm just... The main thing I'm really curious about is what are the next three episodes and whether they're going to try and tie up all the loose ends before Russell D. Davis comes in or they're just going to sort of throw them to the wind and say, good luck, Russell.
2: When I was on the Flashcast, I said to Jason that... I mean, I agree with Erica in a way that this feels more like Classic Who in a, being a single story over serialised parts. But I had a realisation watching the last episode because they did fail to tie up so many loose ends. And Eric is right. They did also do that in the classic series. But I think the difference is, in classic Who, they didn't make such a big deal of them. Whereas here, so many things were introduced as really, like, portentous. The whole space and time have always been at war thing, you know, and the role of the <laughs> Maury and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where you can imagine in, like, a Tom Baker Who, that would have been... Like kind of, oh, yes, didn't you know, space and time are always hate one another. Oh, yeah, always at war. And then move on. And it wouldn't have been (laughs) set up as such a big thing that is then completely ignored. And I think that's, looking back on it, having had a week to reflect now since the episode broadcast, I think that's my main issue with, because I enjoyed the final episode. I thought it did wrap up a lot of things well. But the problems I had with it were that they set things up as big deals and then ignored them. And they did that too many times, I felt. Mm.
3: Yeah, I do think that the next three specials will... I won't be able to completely judge how much stuff they left sitting on the table because, honestly, the space and time thing, I have a that's one that I definitely feel like was being teased as something that's going to be coming back before Jodie's time is done mm. because oh, of her I, showdown I so. with herself yeah. as time. Yeah. Um, but there are enough of them that i would be surprised if they were all picked up in all three in, in those three series <laughs> I, so, I
0: do think it's hard to judge because this isn't a completed work in in a sense right we're, we're wrapping up this season and yet there are two more planned episodes and then the third that was added as a final uh uh big 100th anniversary of the bbc uh special that will be jody's last episode i i think Part of my challenge is that this story, and this goes back to the idea that the showrunner has a master plan for the character and for the 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 setting of the show, and secrets are going to be revealed, and you'll never think of Doctor Who the same way uh, again. And that's the timeless child stuff, right? And that's and that's maybe it turns out space and time being at war with one another and all of that which again it just kind of makes me giggle every time i think of that it's hilarious and interesting and but then there's the story of flux and and they're intertwined a little bit um but my my struggle is that i think that this might have been a more effective uh, set of episodes in some ways if the story of the flux we knew like we have a problem to solve, which is to solve the flux. And yet I feel like it all got mixed together and it was, is this about the flux? Is this about the history of the doctor? Is this about the Time Lords and the origin? Is it about space and time? What part of this story is going to be the flux and what part of this story is going to be your big picture idea about Doctor Who? And it got so muddled that by the time I got to episode six, when some stuff was being paid off... I didn't know whether that was the right stuff or not, and I felt I felt frustrated, which is why maybe if it all gets resolved in two or three episodes, I'll feel better. but like if, if that makes any sense, like it's it's not telling a story it's telling a story that is also along the way trying to tell part of a larger revision of a vision for a TV series and hmm. like that's a it just it all got mixed up for me. I think if they basically just
1: take all the complications and drop them into a hole in the TARDIS and say, right, well, <laughs> those are there. I'll never see um, that
0: again unless yeah. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and I think, I think that's probably what we'll get. I think some of the thing that things that bothered me, like were the way that they set swarm up as this, like antagonist of the doctors for, you know, as long as the doctor has been fighting with the master, uh, And then, ah no, they they just got disintegrated. So we'll we'll never find out. Or maybe we will. There was
3: a lot of anticlimactic disintegration. Yeah. I, I wanted yes. to.
0: I wanted to mention, and, and they give speeches and all. Although I think the speeches are fun, but but I think Chris Chibnall has this tendency to have characters just stand there and give speeches. I I like this finale way better than I like last year's finale, only because last year's finale, while fascinating from a what does it mean for the the milieu of Doctor Who, was ultimately Sasha Dewan, um giving a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> and, and it was, it was just uh, the ultimate in show don't tell. And it wasn't about storytelling. It was about sort of like conceptual fundamental documents of the doctor who universe rather than resolving a story. And then the story was magically resolved. And while this episode, uh, the final episode of this series was a little bit like that, um, I had more fun with the baddies having, you know, their outfits and their glitter and their speeches and I think their charisma. I think these were very charismatic baddies. I was disappointed by the fact that they don't really you know essentially the the what the spirit of time just disintegrates them at the end because it's disappointed in them i was a little disappointed at how quickly they were kind of washed off the scene but um but they were fun i actually say that one of my favorite things in this whole season is swarm and azure especially swarm i think that mm-hmm. that actor was really good mm-hmm. and that that, yeah. that was a good villain in a way that you know, it wasn't kind of like the the over the top masterish kind of villain that we sometimes see, but a, a little bit more charismatic and sinister, while also being, uh, you know, an over the top baddie at times.
4: He gave, me, he gave mean, me
0: a very Paul Bettany vibe. I thought, yeah, like I just, thought I kept you know, hearing Paul Bettany in his voice
1: as well. Yeah, that yeah. I kept looking up who the actor was. <laughs> I knew it <laughs> wasn't Paul Laird. Bettany.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs> no. The good thing about being disintegrated by time, of course, is that. You can then reappear anywhere else.
0: I suppose that's true. Glitter the glitter. Who knows what the glitter does.
3: And and I sometimes I enjoy the sudden like you think you are all that and a bag of chips and sure. no poof, you're just you're just gone. Because you think you're great and you are so so much less than you think you are that you are absolutely just skewered at the end by something that is more powerful than it, you are. It's
4: what Chibnall did last year with Tashad, the shod, the, uh, the sort of human Cyberman, um, right. where the master sort of comes up, like, oh, you, like, just instantly uh, miniaturized, and then he's zapped from the story. That's right. And never heard from again. <laughs> like Taktayun, I suppose, too. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah, that is yeah. the other one. The, yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. I think, part of my issue with this season. And again, I... I
0: I enjoyed it, although I'm disappointed with how it ended. I think that there is something to be said for taking a wild ride. And as I said on the Flashcast several times, I am a very, very much a the journey is more important than the destination kind of person. And I really enjoyed the journey, even though the destination frustrated me. I will say that one of my frustrations with the story is, uh, I know I sort of already said this, but I want to be a little more specific, is the integration of the flux and the big Doctor Who story arc arc together in the sense that like i would much rather had this been a mysterious thing that threatens the universe honestly than that it's a plot that's happening that the 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 doctor's uh, mother essentially has is going to destroy the universe and she's also freed a bunch of baddies who end up killing her and taking over the destruction of the universe so that they can continue to destroy the universe which was the plot anyway but they're going to be more kind of mean about it like it, it, there were so many levels of the what the flux is and how it works and why it was uh unleashed and why swarm and azure were freed that i don't I don't understand it, and I think it's way too complicated for this story, and and in the, in the end, it is resolved very quickly in one level, which is I'll open a passenger form, and it will eat the flux, and we win. Um, on another level, incredibly not dealt with, where I guess the universe is mostly broken, and now everybody's dead, except for Earth, and shrug like nothing is i i I don't know it was just it was this weird combination of being way too complicated and then at the end kind of solved quickly and not dealt with that frustrated me i would have almost rather the the i i really did want the main plot uncoupled from the overarching uh mystery of doctor who and instead, every single point of it was coupled. I
1: mean, maybe that for the the Russell T. Davis next season, we get uh, everything set on Earth because everything else has been <laughs> it's destroyed.
3: It's the new unit era. Yeah. I would be I was happy just going to say <laughs> back.
2: Uh, it's back, all over again.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have nowhere. To, I have a TARDIS, but I have nowhere to go.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, all of my. I, I really like this season, but I think all my complaints about it stem down to uh, that. I think there should have been eight episodes that uh-huh. I. Uh, by, you know, by the fifth and sixth episodes, we're basically just sort of getting the punchlines to all the jokes and not the buildup to the joke. And, and it's right. just like, you know, I, I saw someone on Twitter describe it as all plot, no story. Which is kind of like here's here are the plot beats we have to hit and like the goodbyes at the end sort of happened really quickly and as as Jericho died at the end he had a great scene there's no point for him to die no other than no uh, you know he didn't but I also like I was thinking well that saved him about forty four seconds to have to set you know travel back to nineteen sixty seven and have a perfunctory <laughs> yeah. goodbye scene for him no reason Instead for him, him to die him off.
0: and he says a tearful goodbye to the doctor who he's known for like a day w- versus Yaz and Dan who he's known for three years exactly yeah that too but, yeah it's, huh.
3: Instead of a PowerPoint presentation, it it did feel a little bit more like the outline of the uh, uh, of the story. Well, that's right, yeah. <laughs> oh
0: well, he, Chris Chibnall got a new app. <laughs> yeah,
2: there were lots of really good moments within all that plot, though. That's the mm-hmm. really the, the frustrating part about it for me. Like Jason, I enjoyed the journey, even if I was disappointed a little by the end. But the part of the reason I enjoyed the journey, apart from the fact that it was you know filled with big ideas and there were lots mm-hmm. of exciting scenes, was that there were also some fantastic individual scenes and character moments and lines and it's what has frustrated me about Chibnall's run on the entire show like he can do some things really well he's really good at encapsulating characters in one or two lines having a little back and forth a 30-second exchange that really gets to the heart of a character, makes them empathetic, has an impact, has an emotional impact on you as a viewer. He's really good at that. And he's good at big ideas, but he doesn't seem to be very good at putting the two of them together. (laughs) And that's so frustrating.
1: I mean, I I liked, I think, most of the individual ingredients and I just don't think they should have been in the same meal together. Um, (laughs) I, I think that, like, the thing that I thought was really great in this was... Division turning out to be literally in the division between two universes, mm-hmm. and a sort of you know Gallifrey and MI six, and and the 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 you know bombs in people's heads that so they can't talk about it and all that. And I could have done six episodes just on that, and not have to have like the universe being eaten uh, simultaneously.
2: What happened to those Norwegians in the barn? Well, no, sorry, I mean I know what happened to them, but like, what was the point? Like. We never really found out why they were there, other than for Azure to be imprisoned. This is this is the thing is is Azure so Swarm is
0: is locked away in a in a prison, and Azure is just turned into a human um, who doesn't understand who she is, which is a parallel to like the uh, the Doctor in Prisoner Human, of the human Jidun, Nature yeah. and Pri- Prisoner of the Jadun, right? Except. Uh, that also doesn't go anywhere, which again I, it kills me. I have to say, maybe they'll pick that up in the next three episodes. <laughs> right. Probably not, but maybe they will because it seems awfully specific. Other than that, it's cool that it's revealed that this person is not who you think she is. Like, I don't understand why she's allowed to live a, a, a life with a, a minder on Earth while her brother is has eternal torment.
3: And then she's the one that destroys the beacon that goes off. So like she clearly doesn't remember who she was. She doesn't know she's Azure, but she she thinks she's doing something. She thinks that they have some purpose there, and then she decides not to follow that purpose. And like that was that was a moment that I really did want a little more information about, like why why was she that way why uh, what fake personality had they papered over her with that made her not want to deal with the weird flying saucer beacon in their garage like there's there are lots of little moments like that and probably yeah we're not going to get uh, a, a big bow put on all of them but i I guess I just I wasn't particularly disappointed by missing any of those because there's always a lot of stuff that like I, I you know, is, is left for the fanficers or for yeah. the big finish folks. And I'm just, yeah, none of that really bothered me, but I recognize it and I can understand being bothered by it, but it just worked for me.
0: Yeah, it bothers me in the sense that it's strangely specific. And yet then later you go, well, but why was it? Why, why did we have that very specific
2: thing that was chosen? <laughs> and it also doesn't make sense i mean i have no problem with a lack of detail and sort of you know leaving things yeah for the audience to imagine or for a bit of headcanon but that particular scene literally as we just said doesn't make sense like either she remembers who she is or she doesn't mm -hmm. but we seem to have this weird limbo where she's like oh well i don't want to be discovered and i'm going to you know destroy the beacon thing but also i have no memory of who i am or why i'm here and that just That demands an explanation. I
4: I think we would have, like, again, this goes back to having more time to play with. I think if we actually learned who those characters were in Mm -hmm. in their Norwegian monotony, uh, and then all of a sudden, like, a, a UFO beacon appearing out of nowhere becomes a shock and we we begin to learn about why these people are here and, and what they know and what they don't know but instead we just say here's norway as the subtitle says yes. here they are love norway. here's a ufo and, you know as if this this is always what happens in in norway or something <laughs> and, and, it is know? Yeah. So we talk about the big ideas.
0: Um, I do think that that is my, one of my feelings about Chris Chibnall's era and about him as a writer is, is ex- it's exactly what Anthony said. I think he's very good at characters and emotional beats. And I think he's good at big ideas. And then the the connection is the problem. But I would go further and say, I think my challenge is that he has so many big ideas that he, he likes to throw them out, but he doesn't often uh, pick them up or connect them. And I would actually, re- I hate to say this, but, I prefer fewer big ideas more carefully elaborated, wh- mm-hmm. whereas some of those ideas, again, when you hit on a good one, like the fact that we've said several times, space and time have always been at war with one another. Like, <laughs> what is what does that mean even? Like, I love it so much. And yet I love it so much that I'm like, you need to explain this. And the answer is, well, meh, I don't know. Space eats time. Time eats space. That's all you really need to know. And it's like, no, I want to know more. That's a wacky (laughs) idea. And so that's part of my frustration. And it's born out of him having these big, high-concept ideas. Um, I I feel – I – Here's a theory I have, which is, I think Stephen Moffat is a puzzle box writer, and so he, oh, yeah. he has the ending in mind, and he figures out the intricate series of puzzles and twists that he can get, and that's how he writes back, and sometimes it works very well, and sometimes you're rolling your eyes and you're being like, yeah, 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 I I, I see you have to manipulate everything to get where you want. Huh. Chris Chibnall strikes me as somebody who throws the big ideas up at the beginning and then doesn't really quite know how to get to the end. It's the opposite approach to somebody like Stephen <laughs> Moffat, and, and that's... That's, it's a little bit frustrating, but like neither of those techniques is fundamentally bad. I guess we're talking about whether you're a, a an outliner or a, a pantser in terms of being a writer. <laughs> but like you can do it both ways and lock it down. It's just funny that I feel like Chris Chibnall is exposing the fact that he is a, more of a pantser and he has the great ideas and then he has to throw them in the bowl and then kind of figure out, well, now what? What do I do? I mean, I think we, that there is
1: also a certain amount of I. Give people the benefit of the doubt because of COVID, because we yeah. don't know exactly how much it, influ- it yeah. you know, affected things, and you know if they had to write those all those scripts, rewrite it in like two weeks or something.
4: I I do wonder about that. I was because I was what you know the I thought the the Temple of Atropos set was great that we saw yes. like the first two or three episodes. And then the climat, when they go back to Atropos for the climax, it's quite <laughs> clear a shot shot, They're outside, outside, of, outside of, the of, of a museum outside. <laughs> you, there's even a, a staircase up to the fire exit, and they've had to like tweak it. And I thought that looks silly. And then I've been doing a lot this a lot the past year. I go ah covid okay uh, you get a pass because i i don't know what conditions you had to wear i was uh, one of the more recent episodes of star trek discovery There was a scene of uh saru and tilly in the mess hall and there were the only two people eating in the mess hall and i thought ah covid don't forget star trek
0: discovery has a very important uh uh, sort of like tree bar mitzvah for, a, for a, a couple of characters and there's literally no one else in the entire forest and then they, they tell the kid go <laughs> run right. run along and play with your friends who are yep. not present at this important there, ceremony. You know it's COVID, right? It's, I, I it's get it. COVID. And yet at the yeah. same time, I have to judge the work that's on the screen and I, there's been a lot yep. of stuff shot in COVID and some of it has worked better and and some of it has worked worse. But I, I do think it's worth at least acknowledging that um, sometimes you watch, like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was like this too, where it it clearly, they had things that got really broken by COVID. They had a plague plot line that they had oh. to excise oh. after they'd been shooting. Oh, boy. And, and you, it, on one level, I can say, I don't think that that show worked. I think it was a failure. On another level, I have to acknowledge, I can see... That it was very difficult for them to get anything that made any sense at all, given the constraints of COVID. I could, and I can believe both at the same time that it didn't work, but I also feel bad for the people who made the show because I, I. It's amazing that it exists at all, quite frankly. Mm. I'd also say, like
1: the production design, I thought was great for the whole thing. Like you oh, talked yeah, about yeah. the Temple of Antropus. I told
0: them you see them at the end, but yeah, <laughs> until the
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but like even you know the, the costuming
4: and and, oh, yeah. and the makeup on Car- and the spaceship is awesome. I love yeah, the yes. of the spaceship. it's a very Doctor I, Who spaceship, isn't it? Yeah,
2: I mean <laughs> yeah. I, I acknowledge the difficulties of them, you know, filming in COVID and everything, but. All of the problems that I had with this series, and they weren't, you know, there weren't that many. But all the problems I did have, things like the weird, out of balance emphasis on, yeah, flux versus individual stories, and that sort of thing, as Jason said, are things that should have been solved in script. You know, they're but not did they, things. Yeah. Did they
3: have time for that? I'm just wondering, like the the amount of time that they actually had to go over the scripts and do enough passes. I think that was also constrained by the the, the changes in. Direction beforehand—that's possible,
2: but that's also—I mean Chibnel did write ninety percent of this series himself, and that's so that's kind of on him. That's the sort and of thing he you might can have done solve it in a weekend
1: with so. a team.
2: <laughs> Right, but that's the sort of thing that you can solve with a team or with a writer's room, and he clearly chose not to do that. I think there is a thing with Doctor
1: showrunners and not actually wanting to have anyone else write stuff for them, um, <laughs> or at least touching every script that they see.
0: Well, it, I think that the most likely scenario is he had a season more or less ready to go, and they had to make some dramatic changes, and in a short amount of time, he basically had to, without a writer's room because there was no time, take what he had and jettison things and write around things. And probably while they were going to start shooting. So he probably had to start finalizing episode one and two and, and get them out the door and then eat more hurriedly do three and four and then hurriedly five and six. I mean, I can imagine a scenario where he, you know, in the end he has to own it, but I can see a scenario where it was very difficult and time constrained. And the reason that it is a mess is in some ways, because, Uh, he didn't have enough time. And I would say, you know, maybe that was what he was going for as well. Okay. If we're going to do it this way, then I'm going to make it a glorious mess because I can't, (laughs) I can't pull this all together. And so I'm going to throw up, I'm going to just throw everything in here and I'm going to count on the audience kind of being brought along by the next
4: thing and not stopping to think about it. And I feel like the the series works on that level. I feel like there's almost... kind of, like I remember when The Mandalorian Season 1 and Star Trek Discovery Season 3 was playing out at about the same time. I think those are the two seasons I'm thinking of. And I just remember, because like, they were both basically dropping on the same day, so we'd watch them both on the same night. And I was struck by how minimalist and stark... Uh, Mandalorian was and how basically how assured they were in the concept and the story they were telling. Whereas discovery was swooping cameras everywhere. And like, (laughs) it was all like everything was basically there to distract you perhaps from, you know, a less than subpar story. I, and I kind of feel like maybe Chibnall doesn't have, didn't have the confidence Mm. uh, to have one of these stories maintain a story for, for six episodes. And so he would keep adding elements in and keep adding them in and, you know, stuff that he liked and, and, I, I mean it might have been that
1: they'd like built a lot of sets and things
4: like that. And
3: they may have had actors under contract, which would have I been just very, gonna say, very yeah, difficult to break yeah, that like.
4: Redgrave felt like that felt very much like a contractual obligation. exactly. <laughs> she was barely here. <laughs> Hashtag it. they built the sets, by the way. Hashtag <laughs> they built <laughs> the
3: sets. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah,
0: I I wonder if one thing this is a really good point. Um because Last season, if you think about it, one of the nice tricks that I think one of the nice magic tricks last season that Chris Chibnall did is he would have stories with plots and you wouldn't you would not realize that the plot you were seeing was connected with the season long story arc or the big question about the doctor. And then there would be a moment and you'd be like, oh, oh, this is yeah. connected or not. Yeah. And, and by having 10 episodes and having them be standalone episodes, more or less, you never knew. And Flux doesn't have that chance. Flux, everything has no. to be connected or everything is both at once or you quickly get one and then the other. There's no opportunity for that moment of, of uh, surprise that something is connected. It just all has gotten compressed down into... The, you know, all of it is has to be connected or it wouldn't be in the show. So the Centaurans have to be connected and the Weeping Angels have to be connected in two episodes that feel like they probably didn't need to be, but were made connected because, um, that, you know, that was
4: all that they could do. Right. Yeah. I know. one of my favorite bits from last series was the Irish policeman bit at the beginning of, um, uh the two part finale. Right. Because they didn't have they didn't have like a subtitle, Ireland, nineteen forty seven or what year it was. And it was like seemingly completely unconnected. And throughout that whole episode I'm going, what is the deal with the Irish policeman? Because this is fascinating and it's told in such a different way. And I, I wish that if Flux was eight episodes, maybe we, we could have got similar scenes like that like the couple right. from norway or well, something the, the haunting of the villa of diodati
0: which is uh yeah. the the culmination of that is the appearance of the cybermen and you're like oh yeah. no this is the story arc right yeah. we up to that point you're thinking it's a haunted house story set in a historic with with celebrities and all of that like it's it's no no it's not and and you can't do that with flux it's all just packed in there yeah <laughs> yeah
3: but i think like the uh, more and more i think in in Doctor Who in the modern era and in Chimnall's era specifically, I, because I have gotten annoyed from the beginning with some of the overarching, you know backstory plot issues like please stop destroying Gallifrey it makes me so sad <laughs> yeah. uh, so I have I really haven't watched as much for those overarching plot arcs whether they be puzzle boxes or big ideas or, or whatever I am I'm in it for watching the doctor do her her thing mm. and scrunch her face I am in it for watching her and Yaz interact and for the, the characters and for for falling in love with somebody like Dan I yeah. was fully expecting to be <laughs> really annoyed by Dan coming. Coming into the mix, and I fell in love with him within moments. And I was like, okay, well, they can't keep this up. I'm not going to continue to love him this much. Yes, I could. In fact, I ended up loving him even more by the end. So much so that I was expecting him to leave uh, and, you know, go off and be happily ever after with Diane.
0: Bia, and, and I an the fact... unofficial docent at the museum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love the that fact did. that it
3: do- doesn't work that way because we get one of those rare instances of a character in Doctor Who having. Going gone through a really huge, long, vast traumatic experience and having some emotional fallout from that, which I think was a very nice touch and deciding this is not the right time to start a relationship. Good for you, Diane. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. call. And then he the fact that he comes back and not just comes back to the TARDIS, but is is invited along. I think until that point he had been Yaz's companion and right. now he is effectually the doctor's companion. I teared up because I was so excited that I wasn't gonna lose him. Already, this character that I didn't want in the first place. Like I think I don't. I, you know, we've talked about a lot of the structural stuff. How did the show come together? And honestly, not a lot of that matters to me as a viewer of Doctor Who because the stuff that I care about is the stuff that was on the screen and the stuff that I did get to experience. And I, I think I literally threw my hands up in the air and cheered more times in the six episodes of Doctor Who than I had in maybe all of new who combined can like, confirm
4: can confirm sitting yeah. next to her while
0: watching i can confirm you, thank you for erica by the way for being a professional and pivoting to literally the next portion of my outline which was the characters <laughs> starting with dan so thank you
3: <laughs> yep,
2: I'm well, and like point. we said he chibnall's really good at the character parts and yeah he, do, he introduces i mean dan's introduction Of The introduction of what he's like as a person is about as subtle as a brick to the face, but it does work and it does... You immediately understand what kind of person he is, who this guy is, and, you know, they're good lines. It makes you like him. So, yeah, he is, as we said, he is really good at that.
1: I was really kind of suspicious of Dan coming in, A, because... Uh, you know, it was like the older white man coming in again, yeah. kind of thing.
4: Yep. The Bradley Walsh thing. Yeah.
1: Also, uh, John Bishop. You know, he's more well known in the UK, stand-up comedian and things like that. He's
2: known in the UK. Yeah, yeah. well, a bit like Bradley Walsh. That's the a, yeah. again, it, like exactly yeah. the same scenario where he's really, really well known over here, but completely unknown outside.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, and so I had like all this kind of. Uh, resistance to him but i i did like him and i and he seemed to earn his place pretty quickly and i think all the characters uh like there was just generally good acting throughout uh everyone they had
2: well and they were just such fun i said as soon as the weeping angels uh, not The Weeping Angels, sorry, Episode 5 had finished. The first thing I said on social media was, okay, so I assume Big Finish are already gearing up for the further globe-trotting adventures <laughs> of Yaz, Jericho and Dan, because how could you not? Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I I had that thought. I think we mentioned that in the flashcast too. That this like it, it slide it right in there. There's the, there's your big finish audios about those characters, and that was I thought a fun way to do. You know, one of the challenges with having a big uh, cast like this on Doctor Who is that they the traditional way you do it is you separate the characters, and that it's done in in the extreme um, in. Uh, some parts of this season, although I did I did roll my eyes a little bit at the at the Centauran episode where they all land and then are immediately split up because that felt very much like the heavy hand of the of the uh, of the scriptwriter needing to separate the characters. But having them be stranded in the past and having their own adventures and having this moment where sort of Yaz again a modern Doctor Who thing that I think is really interesting is the idea of do the characters learn from the Doctor and become the Doctor, and this mm-hmm. is very much Yaz is the doctor and she's got the advice of the doctor in terms of that little hologram. But Yaz is sort of leading the team and Dan and professor Jericho are the, the older men are, are tagging along (laughs) as as Yaz runs it and they are her companions. And I love that dynamic of seeing one of the companions end up sort of like being the doctor. This is like what uh, Clara and Rigsy Uh, yeah it's a fun it's a fun kind of thing and they that episode is so great where they're doing the raiders of the lost ark thing and uh, tracing lines on the map as they seek a way to uh, get back to the back to their their present not jericho's i guess jericho's present is 1916 it's complicated yeah yeah.
2: (laughs) here's the thing i would not object in like five or ten years time if mandip gill came back and played the doctor sure you know, yeah, do a Peter Capaldi sort of thing, and like, yeah. oh, I remember this face from somewhere. Like I honestly think she would be a really good doctor. That'd
0: be amazing. Yeah, she's really good. She she a lot of the fan complaint has been that Yaz has been underserved. And I felt like Yaz got a lot of mm, yeah, got a lot of stuff. This I mean, there's also a fan complaint that Yaz and the doctor don't spend enough time together and they get their meaningful looks at the end of the season, but like Yaz gets to do stuff and be in charge and use her police skills. And I enjoyed I I, I will take all the Yaz I can get.
3: Uh, I, I, You know, you're right. I, I understand why people feel that way. But honestly, you know, people are like, oh, my God, I like Yaz this season. And to me, Yaz is no different in this season than she was in any of the previous no, ones. I just think but there's like- more of her. <laughs> Yeah, she yeah. gets yeah. more to do, but I, th- I know a lot of people who have said, yeah, I just didn't care for Yaz before, but now I like her because she's mm. doing stuff, and as a person who is kind of a quiet introvert in real life, I just, I, I'm i really personally frustrated by that view that, like, just because some, someone who I thought Yaz's personality was very well laid out, again, by Chibnall being good at that and being yes. subtle about it, uh, mm-hmm. and I just, I really took to her as a person and as a character, and I liked her, even though she wasn't the one stepping forward and doing all of the talking, and she wasn't necessarily the one pushing the buttons and doing things. And I like that because that's that's me. I see myself reflected on the screen so rarely in a way in that way that I enjoyed it. And so now when she's stepping forward and she's actually being the extrovert who does a bunch of stuff, I it's you know it's fun to watch it's nice to see her take that step forward, but as a person, it's really frustrating to me to see so many people be like, oh, she's doing now they've noticed now so yeah. she's a she's a she's a better character. she's a better person now. I'm just like extroverts will be the death of us all. I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> at this point in time well she has she has to really do it. annoying
0: I mean I think I feel like it's not even that she's an extrovert it's, it's a, this is the no, no, she, no. the doctor's not in charge now, and so so who's gonna step up And the answer is it's not the two older white men it's it's yaz yaz is gonna do it and of course she i get is. it of and i appreciate it it's yeah. i'm
3: not mad at chibnall i'm not mad at her i'm mad at fans yeah so just deal with that Fans. <laughs> i agree no she's
0: great uh yaz is a great character and I, I that whole uh again i love it when there's like a whole sub-adventure involving people who aren't the doctor acting like that they're like we know how to do this right the doctor does it we could do it too and so they do it's great um i wanted to mention the weeping angels episode which i thought was excellent yeah, uh, and I thought was the challenge with the Weeping Angels is they're you know they're they're kind of a one trick pony. Like they were written for a great episode, and then everybody loved it, and they're like, I guess we'll bring them back. And then Stephen Moffat sort of added a few quirks to them in the next appearance. But like, it's hard, I think, to use those ki- those monsters well and i thought that episode did a pretty good job of playing the hits and putting characters in scary situations involving weeping angels and the idea that the angels are going to eat a whole village and send them back in time where they also ate the whole village that was a a fun idea and i love the 60s 70s kind of period style Mm-hmm. Uh, of modern doctor who so i loved hide that episode yes when it was set in the that. 70s and the, the weeping angels episode set in the 60s is very similar you know we got claire and she's got her 60s haircut and we've got professor jericho and they've got the weird like all the real to real tapes and and uh and all that sort of stuff old computery stuff at unit in the next episode too yeah. which i also loved uh, which might be the seventies or the eighties? Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> uh, I just I loved I love the period stuff, but especially in that Angels episode, I just thought that was a load of fun to have Doctor Who. I I enjoy Doctor Who exploring an era where Doctor Who was actually on the air, but now yeah. it's retro. Uh, and I just love the look of that, like the the Tardis in the corner in episode whatever five, and the whole sixties village in episode four were great.
4: I I I love how like just the you know, when they when the Doctor sets up sort of the ad hoc CCTV. Uh, right. outfit in Jericho's house. And then you see a uh, weeping angels on these on these, you know, cruddy old black and white monitors. And when I saw that, it's like it looked like a telesnap from a from, missing Doctor Who yeah, episode. Yeah, when the William 1960s. Hartnell met the Angels
0: in 1965.
4: Yeah, and you could you, you could believe it. You could believe that like the Weeping Angels are such a timeless creation, <laughs> they could appear in a 1960s Doctor Who episode again. Yeah, that could actually totally work. They would probably have to bring in statues or something uh, mm-hmm. and cut away and quickly put a different statue in there because I don't I don't trust anyone <laughs> to have to sort of like stay motionless on uh, on the multicam uh, setup <laughs> yeah. as they were making TV back then. But yeah, they're a timeless monster.
0: Yeah. Handled well, which was a relief. Yes, I sort of dreaded it. Yeah, I
1: don't necessarily think you should make them talk. I thought that was a step slightly too far.
3: My headcanon for for why that works is that because, you know, we had, as Jason said, they, they've had a little bit added to their, you know, their their yeah. backstory every Angel time. Bob Angel Bob is is able the, yeah. They used a different, like a dead person mm-hmm. to talk. And then in this case, they don't even need a dead person. They're using the voice of the person that they're talking to, which I did not recognize at first. I was glad. This is one of those examples of dialogue that is overly explanatory that I needed right. because, you know, him saying it's very rude for you to talk to me in my own voice i was like oh is that his voice it's good that they mentioned that but i think the fact that they the angels they weren't technically on earth in that little village anymore the angels had pulled them somewhere out of time floating in space they were in a different space so my headcanon for why that works is that the angels have you know are, are a little bit more powerful in whatever this quantum extraction exactly yep yeah. Mm-hmm. I did
1: also think in that one, when the, the Doctor got turned into a weeping angel at the end, I was like, oh, this is exciting. How are we going to deal with that next wow. week? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Undone immediately, like in the yeah, tradition
0: yeah. of classic Doctor Who cliffhangers. I know, but, yeah. but I thought it was like,
1: that was a, a real sort of surprise. Uh, and yes. I, I yeah. was disappointed i have to say
2: but i'd like to see claire again actually i just just to mentioned talking about characters again like didn't see her in much she was very sort of loosely sketched but she was interesting you know I, i mean
1: also like a lot of people uh from this uh uh, miniseries, I would be happy to have back again as companions because you know you got Bell and Vinder and right, Carvanista yep. and all these people are, are like decent.
2: Carvanista. Honestly, I know everybody loved him. I didn't. Careful what you say? Oh, I <laughs> I know. I'm I mean, sorry. I, like, I
1: didn't like the uh, I didn't like the costume design because it.
4: Oh, I didn't think it was as expensive as it needed to be, really. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love Doctor Who in that you could just throw a dog in a Mongolian warrior costume and he sounds like he's from Yorkshire or something like that. And just like, yep. (laughs) <laughs> Everyone <laughs> just accepts it. 100%. That's, yep. Put 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 that dog into any other science fiction franchise. Everyone go, what is this doing here? Doctor Who? Yep. It's a dog. It's a dog space dog. That's, yep, that's space true. Dog. I don't know.
2: I just didn't warm to the character.
3: I get what oh. Anthony said. Like, people are saying, oh, I want the adventures of just Dan and Carbonista roaming the galaxy. And I'm like, no, I don't want that because I love the little moments that they have. I honestly thought that was, like, we didn't get enough of some things, but there are some characters in interactions that I think work best as seasoning, as sprinkling. So, like, the Dan and Carbonista moments were, I thought, delightful. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that back and forth. But if I had to sit and watch an entire half-hour or 50-minute episode of the two of them bickering at each other, that would be really not fun for me. So, so I, I, I get that uh, I understand not necessarily warming to the character, and I definitely understand not not actually wanting much more of, of what we got.
0: Yeah. We <laughs> got <laughs> the right amount. If you talk about yeah. the... Um... Characters that were misused or were cast and then they had to use them, I would throw in, obviously, Kate Stewart is a great example of that. Yeah. Um, I feel like the great, the Grand Serpent uh, yeah. was a character who, you know, he's a baddie and he isn't that interesting. I think that I really love the idea. I think it's a Stephen Moffat-esque idea that somebody basically went back in time to the founding of UNIT and... And was involved at every step using time travel, was involved at every step along the way so that they could be positioned in a perfect moment to undercut them when they needed to invade. Like I thought that was really fun and it led to a fun part of the episode, although I think the ultimate plot wasn't that interesting. Uh, turn your guns inward and like, okay, yeah, whatever. They, right?
2: <laughs> Did they really need uh, like a mastermind to tell them to do that? I thought it was well played, but they just didn't use him enough.
3: Well, he might he might be back. He's one of the the threads that I think they were possibly dangling really hope specials
0: He is yeah. a loose thread, but but I did like that episode and the idea that they were marching through time there. Um, still i I, I question that character being as important as he is because I, I don't know, but the one that I really question is the mad mole who's digging in the ground. No, he's perfect. He's okay. So here's the thing. He's fun man with a hat digging in the ground. He's fun. And I like that. It's a historical figure. And we're trying to explain why he dug all those tunnels. I guess my problem with it is that it seemed, it, it, it seemed like it probably should have either been more important or not in there. And instead it was one of these ideas that felt like it was not properly explored.
2: It was important <laughs> up until the point that he served his plot purpose and then he was forgotten about. It. And then oh, no. they said
3: goodbye. Wow. Yeah. I I thought he was the most perfectly balanced Plotline of the entire thing. I genuinely <laughs> did. Because because he's just, again, he's sprinkled in just enough. I don't think I would have wanted more of him because that just, like, the way that his character played out here, he starts out as this really grumpy, angry person because he's experiencing something that nobody understands, and they call him the Mad Mole, and he's a real character for, person from history who who's doing this thing. And, like, they could have taken him as a person out of it altogether and just said, there are these weird tunnels that this guy built. But they put him in as a person, which I I think, for me, connected me to these tunnels in a way that I wouldn't have had. And then at the end, I thought his ending was... I thought his his shift from being angry because nobody understands me, and I thought that 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 performance moment... Uh, when Yaz explains you know time and space blah 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 things are things are bad and he just like his face changes he's like oh my god finally somebody sees me somebody gets it let's go and he he's he's the key in a way he shows them what happens and then at the end he gets the end that many many Doctor Who characters probably should get where he's served his purpose he gets the Paul Hollywood handshake yeah a (laughs) a lovely speech from the doctor saying you've done your work and like it's just I don't know to me that was I I I genuinely wept a little bit at the end and I was so happy that he got his perfect moment and then he just got to go off and live the rest of his life the way he actually did in history and they didn't erase his memories. (laughs) So Erica, you
0: you and I agree uh, on every point you just said. (laughs) My problem is (laughs) that the tunnels are part of a just throw everything in the mix run around in the last episode where we're opening doors and closing doors and you know they could have done the scooby-doo thing if they had wanted to or they run into one door and out the other door and all that the benny hill thing or whatever you want to call it that was my frustration with it is i felt that 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 character and the tunnels should have been more important or saved for a place where they could have been. I agree on the
3: tunnels. It's it's yeah, should have had the one more, I was event, perfect. more of the, an impact. The tunnels themselves. You, I, I agree. Right. On the tunnels. And, and so yeah. that, that's
0: so. why I, that's why I'm 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 saying the and Mole. Like if you're going to take a historical figure and make this just bananas big idea that he was actually, he discovered time portals. And so he kept digging and finding more of them and, and put doors up and put little notes. I, I love the post-it notes, by the way, like yeah. don't go in this one. This is very bad. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that is good. But then in the end, it's sort of like, well, the Centaurs come through when they run around and they get back to the future. And it's like, ah, uh, I just, it, it was all part of the big mess at the end. And that was disappointing to me because I can envision a scenario, maybe like a single episode, uh, that's all about the the mad mole or something where where he becomes the solution. I was just I was disappointed that in the end it wasn't that interesting a, a thing. It was just part of the mess. Not that he was bad, but that that was a cool. I, again, if it wasn't a cool idea, I wouldn't be frustrated by it. I'm frustrated there was a cool idea that ended up kind of amounting to not a lot and being just lost in the mix.
3: Yeah, I don't know that I would want to would have wanted more of him, but I do. Uh, like I at the beginning, I was thinking, oh, I bet my my uh, fan theory was that the tunnels were going to perfectly match the hallways of the Temple of Atropos, and oh. somehow that was going to map onto each other. And like so, I was I was expecting something that was like a little it more it integral better. to the entire yeah. to the yeah. entire story. So so yeah, I. I see where you're going with that. That's fair.
1: I, I realized in listening to that, there was a whole other plot line that kind of didn't go anywhere, and that was the TARDIS getting weirder and weirder and messed up. Oh yeah, up. yeah, and and I like that because I like the you know the oh there's too many doors in sideways. The comp- yeah, I, and that <laughs> yeah. was a fun thing that I don't remember having seen before. No, and and then it just kind of oh, no no we'll, it's fine. We'll forget that. It's okay. time
0: time was broken. We yeah. we
4: switched it off and on again. It also provided, uh, you know, speaking of characters, Vinder with the with one of the great uh, TARDIS oh, yeah. uh, reveal <laughs> moments.
3: That might be my fa- my new favorite. When when Vinder goes what?
4: what? <laughs> Just it was it was great.
0: I don't know if I can recall because you know there's all the whole bigger on the inside kind of things. I don't recall having a character look at a TARDIS and say oh is this a TARDIS? hmm uh, yeah. yeah. Right? Like, so good that it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard about these. I, I know what this is. And then it's like, you know, this, is, this show's been going on for almost 60 years. It's hard to find new ways of doing that. And every writer in the modern era tries... <laughs>
3: Yeah, we did have right. we did have the one <laughs> one uh, character who knew what a TARDIS was, but then as soon as she realized it was a TARDIS, she backed away and decided to die yeah. instead die. of yeah, go on it and save exactly. the Doctor.
0: No, this is more the enthusiasm right. of like, oh, I haven't seen one of these. This is yeah. great. Uh, and and uh, well, we should mention since we're talking about characters, Bell and Vinder who have their uh, their uh, star crossed love uh they're trying to find each other amidst the desolation of the flux and they get involved in various uh uh you know pieces of the plot and finally come together at the end and um i thought this was fun and i think these actors are fun and i think that they ended up i think maybe because of this feeling like everything must mean something that they became the focus of a lot of speculation about what, what part integral part of the plot they will be involved with. And everybody started to speculate about who's their baby. And the last episode is sort of like a baby that's Thank who God. it is it's just a baby it's we, not we still it's, hope it's so, not we, uh, so far as we know not the personification <laughs> yeah. of space and or time but just a baby and uh, but th- they were fun I guess my only disappointment there is again that their ending seemed awfully rushed to me and I would have liked a little bit more but they uh, but they were fun characters uh, separate and then it was nice to get them together oh also my complaint is that once they reunite um, they're then sent on separate missions and that that frustrated me because they, they should have been like no we are not parting again
2: I agree that their ending was kind of perfunctory and over too quickly, considering how the quite large parts that they both played in the series up until that point. But I will say that this is actually a good example of what I was talking about right at the start of not playing things up too much. The whole business with Belle's uh, little baby monitor, you know, uh, the Tamagotchi baby monitor that she talks to and what have you. And... It was only us and fandom in general that built that up as a thing. Yes. <laughs> if yeah. you actually look at the show, it wasn't ever built up no. as like, this is, you know, world changing and massively significant. And, and it wasn't. And that's a good thing. That shows yeah. that they can do it.
4: <laughs> We've been trained over the years of Doctor Who that no, yeah. no yeah. one is attempt from Chiswick will eventually be, you know, part Doctor at some point, and you know, by the end of the year. Matt Smith's jacket
0: is different. It's different. <laughs> that, it has exactly. to mean
4: something. I know we are such tinfoil hat wearers now as Doctor <laughs> Who fans. Everything means everything. That is the challenge, right? Is that is that
0: the, the challenge now is that everybody's looking for everything to be hidden in plain sight, and so then you do something that isn't. That's just a thing. And everybody's yeah. like, what does it mean? It's like, well, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it's just yeah. sweet. <laughs> We've still
1: got three episodes to go. Yeah. So, you know,
3: that's true. I mean, it's possible that they could come back and do something more. And I hope that they, I mean, I would like to see them more. I don't want to see their baby become the yeah. child yeah. or something like that. <laughs> no. Uh, or the but yeah, I I was was no. always just of the uh, opinion that I really enjoyed watching each of them separately, and then I also enjoyed watching them them come together. That was a that was a bit of an argument on Verity that uh, that there was too much schmaltz in that story, and I was like, no, there's not, no. there's not. A, give me all the schmaltz. I would have liked to have seen
2: them actually do things together. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, yeah, they were great apart, and I agree. Them coming together was a nice moment, but like Jason says, they were then immediately separated yeah. again. Like, couldn't we have had? Some of them actually doing something together
3: and
1: yeah, being awesome a team. Mission. Yeah, exactly. There, there was probably a whole episode of that. Which I
3: mean, just... <laughs> yeah. I, I, they 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 both worked for we, and we still don't know who it was. Like we know that he was working directly for the Grand Serpent, but we don't know what the larger organization was. I all along was kind of thinking that it was Division or Division. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Division adjacent, mm-hmm. at least. And maybe it was. Um, but the fact that they are both uh, soldiers or, you know, had been soldiers and were both competent in their own way. Like, yeah, I, I agree that splitting them up again was a little bit off-putting. But the fact that they are both competent and like they they have skills that nobody else has. So they they also fell back on their... To me, they fell back on their the fact that they were soldiers and were, were good at right. obeying orders and, you know, used their skills to try to save the universe and... And I appreciated that. And I like that they sort of got rewarded for that by then getting to be together at mm. the end.
0: It's Northern Ireland accent on Bell, by the way. I had a, yeah. boss, I had a boss from Northern
3: Ireland. I and
4: her. so I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that accent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More kick-ass Asian lady characters with Northern Irish I accents. I agree. On <laughs> please.
2: So here's a question about companions. In the past, in, you know, sort of up until now in New Who, uh, companions and, you know, colleagues and associates of the Doctor and what have you have occasionally recurred even across generations. But of course, that was when it was all in-house at the BBC. What are the chances, do we think, of people like Bell and Vinda turning up when once uh, it goes to Russell T. Davis's... Mm. Production company. I'd like to say that, but I don't I know whether the, that will I
3: don't. I don't think the production company would be an impediment. I think. I think the question is more showrunner related. Usually, you don't have people showing up again when it goes. You know, like Stephen Moffat did not use a lot of Russell T. Davis's recurring characters, and Chris Chibnall did not. You know, but there were to, some like, mm. there Captain Jack, was,
2: for example. You know, yeah. has been in all of them.
3: Well, Captain Jack was also kind of a co-pro of Moffat and. Um, rtd and yeah. rtd and, and sh- chibnall because and chibnall of torchwood, and torchwood yeah. so oh, that's so, fair okay. so he's sort of a <laughs> sort of a special case um like you know i was even surprised to see the weeping angels show up here simply because yeah. that was a stephen moffat thing that was created under under russell t davis right. and but it didn't be- appear on torchwood
0: it's, it's become like the jadoon they've sort of become these pare- they're officially yeah. in the monster I mean, canon now right? they were yeah. in class so like yeah. they're literally everywhere <laughs> they're, they're, in the, they're in the canon so we mentioned division And I I at least want to touch on it because that is a big part of the whole plot, overarching plot. We got to see Joe Martin again in a a really kind of fun moment where she's in the reflection and the doctor realizes she's flashing back to a part of her life that she doesn't remember where they were assaulting uh, the temple of Atropos. This is where they caught Azure and Swarm and then put them away. Um, Although she doesn't understand that like as it's going on. And what's revealed is that division is you know, I would say, disappointingly for me, it's exactly what you might think it would be, which is secret group, separate from the Time Lords, it's been interfering in events to get the universe to be all, you know, the way they want it to be, and that the Doctor's on the run from it. It's essentially the Celestial Intervention Agency, uh, or a duplicate of that. Uh, they're very secret, but everybody works for them, okay? And they're run by Tayun who was the person we met last year who found the Timeless Child. Um, And the reason that we see them again here is because the doctor has now figured out, uh, you know, basically the memory wipe is... Is now not taking because the master showed her her past, and so we have this plot that is like Tecteun release the flux uh, in order to wipe out the universe because the Doctor has ruined this universe with her meddling, which I actually think is a fun little idea that yeah. that that all of the history of the Doctor and setting things right is actually kind of wrecked the experiment, and so they are going to burn this universe and move on to another universe, which they say might actually be the one that the Timeless Child came from, which is kind of interesting. Um, it's all kind of like they're everywhere and nowhere and it's all very hazy on their ship. There's nobody but, uh, Tectiun and an Ood. So where is everybody, everybody else? Are they already in the other universe? Are they out there somewhere when Tecteun is dissolved? There's nothing, there's nobody left except the ravagers to to take over because there's nobody else covid nobody else on the ship yep. everybody's working from home basically yeah. <laughs> i guess they're on, on zoom in the others in the they're working from the other universe that's what they're doing Hune anyway.
1: is just the one person who d- insists on being in the office she's, and she's the, new the
4: manager. i yeah. was
0: <laughs> disappointed by this plot line because it does seem to augur a great deal of like oh this is good. this is going to be good and maybe that there'll be dealt with in future episodes but um, it, it doesn't really go anywhere and Tecteun is dissolved by glitter before she can say anything about what's going on. So other than the tantalizing idea that the doctor saving the universe has ruined their plans and that's why they want to nuke the universe and start over... Other than that, I didn't get a whole lot out of this thing. It seemed to be just sort of chewing on uh, last year's ideas and sort of teasing us a little bit. She creates the the fo- she has the fob watch with all the memories in it that the doctor takes but doesn't use. And I don't know how do you feel about this whole division nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, I liked
1: it, but uh-huh. I would like to have been the entire focus of the series, That's and fair. I think then they could have done yeah. it justice, like it was you didn't get very much out of it. And and the whole, like, you know, you know uh, are you going to save the universe or are you going to get your memories back? Well, you know, that's a silly question. That was question never a real choice. We know the Doctor, yeah, right? Ever. Yeah, <laughs> It's ridiculous. But then actually getting the thing back and then going... Ah, uh, you know what? I think I'll just chuck this down a hole in the TARDIS.
3: we're saving that for a special.
0: I was offended by the idea that the Doctor doesn't that everything has changed and the Doctor doesn't know who she is because the appearance of Joe Martin already proved that the Doctor may not remember her previous life, but she was the Doctor,
1: and, and the right. Doctor also has form <laughs> for repressing memories. I mean, we have the whole War Doctor stuff, which was right. right. kind of this as well.
3: Yeah, I was. I was likewise. I don't- I guess I wasn't disappointed, but I had sort of expected a little bit more. And I think I, I chalked a lot of that up to COVID, both with the fact that Tactaeun's the only person standing there, and the fact that uh, that we didn't get more story because I felt like that that to me that felt like something that had been bigger and had been perhaps chopped down or adjusted to move most of the division stuff to the specials, which we haven't seen simply because that was one of the things that we had before flux. So we had division. We already knew division was a thing. We already knew it was sort of a big bad, and I. You know, maybe I'm entirely wrong, but that was one of the things that I felt like was being left for the specials at some point and that, you know, the the overarching, as you talked about Jason and how it was, you know, her timeless child stuff and the division stuff are all interwoven with all of this. I think the timeless child and the division are most interwoven with each other. And we still haven't seen the end of that. So I feel like that's something that's coming. And maybe more Joe Martin. I don't, I have really mixed feelings about the way that they used Joe Martin here. I was so happy to see her. But also the fact that it was a white lady papered over a black lady doing her actions made me feel a little uncomfortable. And I feel like... You know, black women are a very underserved audience when it comes to Doctor Who, especially considering how many black women Christian Milton killed on screen. In 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 some cases really disgusting like gross ways so i i would really love someday to see joe martin get an actual series to be able to just be the doctor Mm. having her be sort of the the side character the memory character uh you know the magical woman who comes to tell you who you really are is interesting but I, i just feel like she she needs more and if they do use her in the specials, I will be watching with a very close eye to be like, okay, how Mm. are you doing this? Are you actually doing this well? And the one thing I think that uh, on this topic that makes me the happiest about calling this Doctor Who Flux and having it be a six-part story is that once things go over to Bad Wolf and they do whatever they decide to do with it, um, we've set a precedent here for a short standalone Doctor Who story that's basically Doctor Who colon something in this yeah. case it's flux and mm. so you can have a you know potentially a miniseries with with Ruth the Ruth doctor and Joe Martin say you know doctor who colon whatever you want to call it right and then you can't have fans being like oh she's not actually you know the, the jerky fans being like oh she's not actually the real doctor because this is just a side thing well guess what flux was just a side thing too so there you go <laughs> I
0: I, I want to put a pin in that because my last yeah. question is going to be a conversation about where doctor who goes and about the way this season was structured but before I do that if there are more thoughts about the division let's get to that now
2: i would have liked to have seen more of it like everybody else and i think that there were other aspects of this series that could have been jettisoned to kind of make room for it my main disappointment with it apart from sort of the again perfunctory nature with which tekstian was dismissed yeah. was this business with the watch like clearly they never intended to deal with the question of the doctor's memories in this series and so the idea that she just gets the watch and puts it away and then it will come back again in the specials. Like there are so many ways they could have done that better. There are so many other, you know, ways they could have just got rid of the watch and made her finding it more of a story Mm. to come. Um, I don't know. I just, I've, it's one of those, again, you can't really judge until you see how they do deal with it. But within the context of flux, it just felt really flat and I don't know, I don't, I don't hold out a great deal of hope, to be perfectly honest.
4: Also, is that Ood God now? <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many Ood in the universe, and they're all, for some reason, drastically important to everyone. I mean, it's only one letter yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, towards towards the end of the end. I, I like that, you know, because the Doctor sort of feels like I, I need to know more about who I am, uh, and then is somewhat uh, surprised that... Oh, you guess what? There you go. You can find. you can now find it. It's like you handed to her on a mm-hmm. platter. Like I think I think she was expecting to have to do more digging. Uh work and maybe for it. and work for it and maybe get like, you know, a piece of the time here and there, but all of a sudden, here you go. Just open the Fob Watch and you got your all your your memories back. And it's there's almost like the you know, the, the quest is part of, of of who she is. And so you know, she needs to find out who she is, not sort of open up a magic box and learn who she is.
2: Although the magic box leads to another magic box. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I loved the moment where she looked at it and she like I just I felt like the all the 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 stern and drawn between her and uh, and Yaz because she wasn't letting Yaz in on her secrets, which I was fine with because that's very much the Doctor. Um, I I liked the emotional arc of the Doctor throughout this and the fact that she chose to not just. Lap up those memories immediately to me was a great character moment, so I loved the bit where she dropped the uh the watch in there. And like, I from the Doyleist perspective, I can totally see why it was done. And like, yes, these are moving the chess pieces, but from the Watsonian perspective, for me, that rang really true to what we had seen the doctor emotionally wrestling with throughout the whole series and the previous series.
4: Yeah, Chris Chibnall in the the, there's a YouTube video that BBC put out a couple days ago. Uh, before recording this and and he basically said you know she the doctor is the character that she is now because of her own choice not because of who is defined in that in that watch and so basically opening that watch would basically diminish who she was so she chooses not to what you could do is just
1: have her open the watch and then you have your six episode joe martin Mm. miniseries (laughs) as a result of those (laughs) memories coming back
0: i was going to say that i I wonder if uh, just to total theorization of how this season and series is going to end there is a moment where the personification of time basically says i'll kill i killed the ravagers now but i'll let you live for now but your end is coming too, dr Blahaha, right there's that that right. thing that's yeah. set up i i had a thought which is it would be really interesting if the end of the last episode of the jody whittaker era was literally the doctor uh the doctor uh, uh dies and opens the watch and we'll go inside the watch and then all future doctor who is just said in the past of a doctor Ooh. somewhere this flashback I, yeah I've,
3: yeah I've, I've heard that bandied about and i hate it i hate it,
0: too. <laughs> I hate, I hate it as much as as bell and Vinder's baby being the doctor yeah. I, I, I hate it but uh again we that doesn't mean it won't happen it's just that, that <laughs> i i i hate it i do wonder about that too um the future of Doctor Who, uh, we we are wrapping up next year the uh, the Chris Chibnall era, but also and the Jodie Whittaker era, but also the BBC uh, production era, BBC Wales production area era, because it's going to be produced by Bad Wolf, which is now going to be owned by Sony, and it, but it's the it's the producers of Doctor Who back in the day, and it's Russell T Davis, the original um, showrunner from 2005, coming back to run it, um, and who knows what they're going to do. Um, who knows what where i assume they've had a conversation chris gibnoll and russell t davis about where he's going to park the park the car so, and give him the keys what i wonder And this has been a subject on the flashcast all along, but I'd like everybody here now that we've seen flux to give me your opinion about it. We live in an era now that is not the era of episodic broadcast television of 2005 when the show came back, nor is it the era of the 60s where there were 25 minute tea time Saturday, you know, Saturday uh, cliffhanger serial. Um, Instead, we live in an era of uh, streaming services and and binge drops and uh, event uh, storytelling told over. You know, six to ten episodes. Um, this is the era of of Marvel TV shows and and you know Netflix shows and all of that. And so, as we go into a new era of 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 modern Doctor Who, and we look at Flux, which was arguably done in a more modern streaming TV series style, I wanted to ask all you what you think about like what should doctor who look like going forward should it look more like flux should it look more like we're used to where there are a bunch of standalone episodes and maybe a season-long story arc should we go back steven should we go back to 25 minute uh (laughs) serials uh, told over four (laughs) installments what what is what is the 2020s doctor who uh what, what, what should that look like when it comes back
4: I think it definitely needs to be. I I, I love the, the whole concept of a, of a uh, a season long story, and as Eric alluded to, you know Doctor Who colon something. This way you can get what you can keep everything under the Doctor Who brand, but it's now something else. Uh, it's you know because I I'm always I remember when Steve Moffat started as showrunner, and he was like sort of like kind of soft pedaling this idea of of it being series one. Because it, yes. you said it was hard to sell like series five and, and have people excited. So, well, guess what? The next series of Doctor Who will be the fourteenth series. Yeah, and it, it's in, in the you know the eyes of the the casual viewer. Oh wow, I got to watch the first thirteen store uh, serials before I get yeah. caught Don't up. Tell with this them one.
3: about classic Doctor Who. Yeah, so I, I feel like
4: that is that is the way to go. Also, like all of our complaints about um, timing and everything sort of being jammed into thing. You know, every episode was sixty minutes or just under or forty five minutes or whatever. Probably because this Strictly Come Dancing results show was yes. showing up at, at yeah. a certain time on Sunday nights and Doctor Who had to fit into that slot. And every time I, that stupid theme song for Strictly Come Dancing <laughs> came on after Doctor Who, it was like, we could have got 10 more minutes of Doctor Who and exposition and sort of like some, some breathing space for Doctor Who. Um, I hope that Russell T. Davies, this is what I'm confused about, because Russell T. Davies has been a very vocal defender of the BBC um, and its importance in, in British culture. But then he also made those comments about, oh, Doctor Who should totally have a, basically, a, you know, like a Marvel Cinematic Universe of its own, uh, from a Nyssa spin-off series to, yes, 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 to yes, 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 whoever. Right, to and David so, Tennant and Matt Smith doing yeah, a new series together. Yeah, yeah. so I I mean, Doctor Who has an existing relationship with HBO Max right now. Um, I I think the days of... of Certainly in North America, where people have to wait several hours to watch it on BBC America, chopped up with commercials. In the
3: wrong aspect ratio. In the
4: wrong aspect ratio. And then occasionally, as, as with episode six, not even showing up on the streaming service or iTunes until three or four days later. Um I am definitely hoping that a simultaneous worldwide release of uh, Doctor Who episodes on a streaming service is the way of the future. I feel
3: like that's more important than anything else yeah. <laughs> at this point yeah. to like, the hardcore Doctor Who fans uh, being able to, to access it at the same time and not have to worry about spoilers. It's such a different world than it used to be. It really is but i'm in terms of what i want i'm greedy i want it all all of those things <laughs> okay. that you said jason maybe not the 25 minutes shot episode. on video in a studio <laughs> yeah. 25 yeah. minutes yeah, yeah. But, but i feel like if if we you know do go forward into the doctor who you know television universe happening i, I want both i really i love This flux six part event series. And I like modern television storytelling where we have the, you know, more explicit arcs that link everything together. That's fun. But I also really, really like the sort of anthology nature of the way Doctor Who used to work where you could just dip in and out and it would be you know the doctor lands somewhere something weird is happening the doctor and companions have a quick adventure fix things or make it worse whichever and then just pop away in the TARDIS I think that's great too and I would love to have space for all of those different things and i think in in uh you know the there it's it's a little bit the wild west in television right now there's a lot of different types of storytelling happening there's a lot of different types of uh, of shows streaming and dropping and i i I think that there's room for all of that you know do do some standalone episodes they don't even necessarily have to be big specials just 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 drop them or you know a short season that's you know the five or six episodes that is totally anthology style and then you get your next one is doctor who colon something Mm -hmm. and then that's you know that's more tied together i think i think there's room for all of it and i want it all because i'm a greedy fan please me
1: I, i think the one of the problems one of the limiting factors is the still the BBC, yeah. because, you know, this is being made for broadcast television. And if it was, you know, if the BBC had some for pay thing that this was going to go on and they were trying to draw people in, like, you know, if it was on a Disney Plus or something, then you could absolutely have your simultaneous release and you could have whatever spin off shows and there'd be like, um, you know, not just six hours per year or whatever we're gonna get. I mean, that's the thing. I would like to see more than six hours of Doctor Who per year. Yes, um, yes. and as a, as, as a it, producer of a weekly Doctor Who podcast, yes. <laughs> <see> too. <laughs> um, but uh, and I can understand why we didn't get that. But you know, give us two six episode things per
0: year. Yeah. or something. That's that's you know, that would be my vote. Actually, uh, yeah. is to go t- consider a consider a holiday special and two fluxes essentially two short run mini series stories that are about something and Mm -hmm. they can be loosely interlinked or they can be tightly interlinked because that might that gets erica on board maybe it's (laughs) like the key to time and in every episode they have to solve one thing that leads i mean (laughs) nothing can be the key to time but still Um, and but but I would like yeah I, I would like more than six so if we could do two, five, two by five plus a special or something like that I would accept that but you know I I remember fondly the days of thirteen plus one I don't think those are coming back but if. Russell T. Davis gets his way and he's got an extended universe. It also could be that you've got a mainline Doctor Who and then you've also got some sort of spin off. Because I agree with him completely that not only is the world of Doctor Who rich enough that it could generate something like what Star Trek and Star Wars do and what the Marvel stuff does. Um, you know, maybe not at that level, but like you could keep Doctor Who in the public's consciousness more than six weeks a year. And You probably should, and I hope they find a way to do that.
3: I hope they find a way to do that that doesn't run in to the problem that I have always had with the Doctor Who spin-offs in that in order like when you do those episodes like Torchwood, Children of Earth where you have really big stakes it's like where the F is the doctor and right. that is yeah. really just in this particular television universe that t- has always been a really big bother for me so I like the idea of having multiple Doctor Who things running I would like many of them to have the Doctor, or yes. different versions of the I Doctor, agree. or yeah. if you're going to do a spinoff with companions, have it be something like Yaz and Jericho and Dan, you know, traipsing around Earth where you don't have the giant stakes where you expect the Doctor to show up. Exactly. Uh, you know, I hope they take that into account because that's the reason where at first, when when RTD did that uh, interview, I was like, as much as I want to see the Nisha Adventures, I I don't like the idea of spinoff shows in the Doctor Who universe. So I've, I've come around to it, but because I think now I recognize it's a vast universe, there's a way to do it right. But I feel like there are a lot of ways to do it in, I don't want to say wrong, but in a way that's totally not going to please me. So I'm crossing my fingers.
1: I think we're also, we're getting to the length of time that there's going to be nostalgia for the early new Who. Oh, there already stuff. is. Oh, I think yeah. there already is.
2: Yeah. I, I agree with all of you to an extent, but I I worry that they might do too much. Like, let's not forget, talking about sort of series long versus uh, anthology. Let's not forget that Classic Who, you had series of anthologies, but they were multi-part episodes. So that was, you know, kind of a weird hybrid of what we have now. I would uh, personally, I'd like to see something like, say, a 10-episode anthology season, and then in between each of those, some kind of event, whether it's a four or five-episode yeah, series with a different sure. Doctor, or a couple of movie-length instalments again with different doctors. Right. Because Specials, why not? Right. Yeah. 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 I and, don't want to see spin-offs without the doctor on with on with Erica on that. I think they should all feature the Doctor in some way.
0: I think that I think there's some truth in that. Although I think Big Finish has shown that there are probably some areas where you could do some some things thinking outside the box. But I think Yes. One of the great strengths of Doctor Who is that it has these eras and it has all of these different actors. And I know that they age because they're human beings, but we can we can fake it. <laughs> really? We can, yeah. we, can yeah. we can deal with it. <laughs> we'll in get some over way. that. <laughs> and honestly, after the uh, curator was introduced, we could also headcanon in that like, oh, well, this is from later when they revisited that face and they're a little older now. Right. Like. It's all out there. It's Doctor Who. It's fine. Um, but that means that they have the opportunity to do something like ten episodes with whoever the next doctor is, followed by like like RTD himself said, followed by a little miniseries where Matt Smith and David Tennant get together and they have to solve a problem and it's a little two doctor exactly. thing. Or it's what if there's a movie with David Tennant in it and it's a two hour big thing that happens and, and then we don't and then we don't see him again. Uh it's whatever that might be. Jody Whitaker comes back and yeah. has and gets yeah. to interact with with Peter Capaldi. Like there are so many different things you can do that are just still the doctor and and yet are spin-offs in a way that would be fun to see. And I agree, Anthony, you know, there is a way to do it where you could have a run of an anthology and then big events. I just I'm not I'm not entirely sure that modern Storytelling—it's I, I, a real interesting question, right? Do you do you blow your episodes on an ongoing story like Flux, or do you say no, no, no? The beauty of Doctor Who is that you've got that standalone episode where they go to a planet and they don't know what it is, and they learn about it, and they solve a problem, and whatever. Like that's the classic thing. And if everything is a, an event, you don't get a chance to do that.
2: Well, that's an editorial decision. But the one, the one other thing I wanted to say about the the future of Who is that what we've seen is that every showrunner except RTD we've talked about this on other shows has struggled to make doctor who frankly has struggled yeah. to make enough of it he's the only modern era showrunner who has shown that he can do 12 14 hours of who every year Walk him in a room for the weekend
0: he'll come out with some scripts it happens right, right
2: but but so what i really hope and I, I i can't imagine that this isn't the plan but what i really hope is that He takes this opportunity to, A, get the schedule back on track, but also to, frankly, train up a bunch of younger Who writers to do what he does, be the showrunner in the American style. I've I've banged on about this before. You know, adopt that model and mentor younger writers so that RTD doesn't carry the entire production franchise on his shoulders. And by doing that, then they can make a regular series and a few spin-offs and you know keep doing that and keep pumping it out.
3: That was the that was the thing that actually finally brought me around to the idea of a Doctor Who television universe, the idea that you could have these other, you know, smaller stories like not with the Doctor but like the the, the Yazdan and uh, and Jericho type things, smaller story, little mini series where where he has somebody else do the show running, so you can actually get a more you know sort of diverse group of showrunners trained up to be able to then run the flagship yeah. show at some point. Exactly. Russell T.
0: Davis is is in his late fifties, so he's not he's got a lot of time left, but uh, to do his to do his job. But at the same time, he's like all of us, um, older than he was when he took on Doctor Who the last time. I'm also older than I was in 2005.
3: And it took a lot out of him. (laughs) And it did
0: take a lot out of him. And so he's rested now, right, I guess, and ready. But yeah, I look at that and I think, I can't believe if you're the BBC, if you're him, if you're Bad Wolf, I don't see how you look at this and not say, Russell... The plan here is for you to bring it back, to set the stage, to get it back on its feet, to build a system where it's self-sustaining. And that involves bringing in young talent, new talent, diverse talent, so that there is a bench and that there is obviously like there's not an heir apparent. There are heirs apparent and they can do other shows. Uh, under the umbrella beyond the main show, if there is a main show per se, and that, that we need to build up a whole Doctor Who factory <laughs> that is not reliant on just your brain. And, it, and, and to, contrary to maybe the British model, which is you have a bunch of freelance writers contributing scripts, it is much more like, no, we're going to have staff. We're going to have a writer's room and we're going to have staff with producer credits and we're going to pay them to come in and 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 basically train to do this job.
2: I should say it's the payment part that's always been a problem here in the UK because our TV industry is far, far lower funded than the American industry. And
0: and you tend to just use freelance scripts and they, they turn in the script and they're done instead of having them hang around but you've got to have some people even if it's not all the writers i i I think it would be malpractice honestly if they aren't planning to do that that way like this is not sustainable as a franchise if all you do is say well we're going to have russell write 80 percent of the scripts and rewrite the others (laughs) and that's how we're going to do it because like okay and he'll do three years and he'll burn out Yeah. yeah yeah
3: again Again, good thing, we got, good thing I, <laughs> we got
4: that Sony money coming in now. That uh, that maybe we can offset some of the uh, the the TV that's what I'm hoping. Yep.
2: that's what I'm hoping. Honestly, is that with money, that injection, maybe. right, with that injection of money, that they can adopt a new model and they can afford to have a staff and a writers' room uh, and pay them properly because that has been the big hurdle in a m- lots of UK TV up until now. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed. I really hope that's what they're planning to do.
1: But the first thing that we're going to get is isn't it the big. Uh, anniversary episode.
0: Well, from... so it's unclear. Uh, it's worded in a way where there's the BBC centenary episode and then that's the end of Chris Chibnall and that, that Russell T. Davis will be producing a special for the sixtieth 60th, 60th anniversary of Doctor Who in 2023. I'm skeptical that the first thing he does is going to be a big anniversary episode. It is sort of implied by the press release, but I feel like it's vague enough. Like, I kind of can't see it. I kind of can't see them him coming in with having had a regeneration and then having, unless the idea is you do a big special
4: to kick it off and then immediately you kick it into gear with a new uh, series or something. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, is that they're probably entering production like sometime in 2022. Uh, Absolutely. And like, is he going to wait a year and a half? That that was, uh,
0: that was my thought is that if they're, if they're picking up the reins, I mean, he, he's apparently starting to write
4: and, and work now. And share ideas with Stephen Moffat, according to uh, Stephen Moffat's Instagram. That, that that special that would be the first of Russell T. Davis was 23
0: months away. It seems mm-hmm. like, this is just my internal clock here, like you might be able to do a series. Oh, is it really
2: late in the year?
0: Yeah, the Doctor Who anniversary is November. So, yeah. Oh, oh so yeah, okay. It okay, would seem yeah. to me like you might want to do a little series in the spring and then do the anniversary special. But mm-hmm. who knows? Ooh, who Who? no knows. if it's that
2: late in the year i agree with you that does seem kind of because i could see him kicking things off with a special and then immediately following with the series as you say and even also i i wouldn't be surprised if there's no regeneration or no regeneration scene they say sorry, there is say. they say they Just, shot
0: it so they could be lying but they oh, say that there okay. is and that they shot. i was it. gonna
2: say like 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 how you know there was no uh regeneration between um seven and eight. No? So eight, and nine. eight nine. yeah eight nine sorry yeah um but if they've already shot it, then fair enough. I'm talking Well, about they've only shot behind. half of it. They've so. shot Jody Whitaker's, <laughs> and then they've
4: taken down the set. I mean, the set this is the thing they're not sharing the same studio. So uh right. there's a new TARDIS set to be built so what is that going to do or, or is is the next doctor uh, first scene going to be you know in in a version of the volume of the old set or are they yeah. just gonna <laughs> p- prop Green up a photo photographic blow up or something of the old wall or
3: they'll, they'll like put that? a tent in the parking lot
4: yeah something like that they're going back to Legopolis. that's where yeah. just do
2: it in a field somewhere like yeah. four to five yeah. you know yeah, exactly.
3: and maybe they did maybe, <laughs> maybe they, they did,
0: did. yeah so I, I guess we'll see, but i i'm gonna I'm gonna remain skeptical of the, of the idea that they're going to do two specials next year, and then that third special at the end of the year, and then a year gap, yeah, and then another special. Uh, when they've got a new team coming on board. I, I don't believe it. I think that there's going to be something earlier on in 23.
4: And and you, and you I think Russell T Davies, you couldn't say, hey, he's back with Doctor Who, but first here's a spinoff that he's also making for Doctor Who. No, You know, I think he launches with a new Doctor and yes. then you go with the spin-off. So that's why yeah. the timeline feels a little weird to me. I,
1: I think the timing, COVID is, again, I think going to be a factor in, in the timing and, of and how much of an influence that is. Because, you know, it might be that they can't turn around to do an entire... Entire, you know six or eight episode series before that's true. november
0: i get people being worried about covid and we've given them a lot of of uh of the benefit of the doubt here there's a lot of television and film that's been made, made during yeah. covid that is being made to completion with lots of actors and yes they have to test and they have to do lots of things but like i don't know i think that could be now maybe it's that that the uk uh, working <laughs> yeah. lo- the, like the yeah. laws and the rules and all of that are going to be different. And of <laughs> not course, not to mention their COVID response and, yeah. exactly, but not I, to mention, I, I, I'm I gonna say that uh, it can be done. So we'll see if they do it.
4: <laughs> Bad wolf, help us. M- much of flux was made with you know before vaccines were widely available, and exactly. now they are. So I think that changes things,
0: yeah. And they've got the protocols down, and yeah,
4: uh, in terms of making television and, and film jodie whittaker was amazing we barely talked about oh, her in yeah. this. i thought i thought this was her best season of doctor Who. yeah That's i true.
0: i feel like it goes without saying she's i think she's been good the whole way through yeah and all of our criticisms about the writing of, of the various seasons and all of that uh don't really bear on how good a performance she uh she has given uh, yeah i think she's great here here so we said it right here at the end. Right yep. there. Jodie Whittaker yeah. is great. It goes without saying, she's great. Just cut that out, put it at the front of the episode. I can't believe you didn't mention Jodie Whittaker. Seriously, I, I had her on the list, and then we kind of ended up on, on tangents. I did have the doctor as the last one and kind of the list there. Because you, you take the you take her for granted. You know, it's a doctor.
4: It's a third year in. Yeah, she's there.
0: She is really good. It was so controversial. It's like, oh, we're going to be a woman as a doctor, and how is it going to be? And it's like, she's the doctor. She does a good great. job. She's got her... She's got her northern accent, and she's yeah. got her her way about her, and she's got the kind of self-effacing kind of like, oh well. And then she leaps into—I mean, she inhabits the part. She's Doctor Who. I, I, it, it, it's like not even—I don't even consider it a, a question. She's very good at it. I'm mm-hmm. going to miss her. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. As we always say when there's a showrunner change, I would have liked to see what this actor would do with a different writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. But she she's also done a great job of like sort of getting over the hurdle of setting the precedent as well like yes it was a big deal that she was a woman uh when she first took the role and what have you and now like i don't know I, maybe i just don't hang out in toxic enough corners of fandom, <laughs> the bad, where the bad fans are i don't see anybody complaining about that aspect i see plenty of people complaining about the series chibnall or there whatever. are
1: various forums that you should avoid like the oh, okay Plash, sure. because
3: they are exactly and corners bad. of twitter
2: but to me it feels like she's because she stuck around thank goodness for several years like that's just it now it's you know if if another woman is the doctor well yeah i
1: i kind yeah. of hope that they don't revert back to just sort of default white male oh, for me too, the next yeah. one because yeah.
2: if it's if it's
1: a good series people will go oh well you know that this is why. Mm, yeah, uh, And that
0: that's my fear.
3: Yeah, when RTD was announced again, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, thank God he's going to come back. Save us from woke Doctor Who. Right. Oh, boy. I was yep. like, do you know Russell D. Davis? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, wow. Okay, people, sure. Are you familiar with his work?
0: <laughs> Everybody immediately also said that Ollie Alexander would be the next Doctor from, from years and years. And I don't know. Ollie Alexander is great. But yeah, I agree. I think a, uh, I, I feel like Jodie Whittaker has done... A fantastic job of making it without question that the doctor can be can be anybody, and that the whole like well it's got to be a white man. It's like exactly. It, yeah. it's been proven now that it doesn't, and that she is still entirely the doctor. Right, like there's no question. This is not like oh it's weird. It's it's not no. It's it's we we've it's settled. It's settled.
2: Mm -hmm. that's what I meant about kind of getting over the hump of the precedent yeah Yeah. as you say it's just it's not even an argument anymore
0: three years of evidence that the writing aside I'm not a big fan of this era Uh, you know in the the end I think it's been a a rough a rough ride where different parts like I thought the first series was beautiful but a little bit boring and I thought the second series was trying to overcompensate and this season we've talked about we just talked about it uh, good and bad but uh, but she's not been the problem at any point and I do kind of wish that she had gotten some more strong uh, episodes for her to do more with. But, um, but it's hard to say. And the Joe Martin introduction is like did, what little we've seen of her also pretty solid at, at nailing the details of mm-hmm. that character. Yep. I think, I think we've proven the point <laughs> and Missy, Missy was a very good master too. So again, yeah. well, uh, who knows when we'll be back to wrap a season of Doctor Who again. That's a real mystery now. Oh. <laughs> but uh, we did it this time. And uh, whenever there are specials, uh, it'll be over at the Doctor Who Flashcast. For those who don't know, uh, i that's its own podcast that I do uh, just about each episode after it airs. And so you can subscribe to it on all the places where there are podcasts. And you can hear me and many guests, including these people, uh, over there, too. Uh, but that the, that ends this episode of the incomparable so let me thank my guests one last time before they uh go in a time vortex or regenerate or go off with their their lupari companion or whatever is happening i don't even know or into a tunnel with a door that says don't go in there uh james thompson thank you uh i'm afraid my options for exiting are rather non-existent
2: (laughs) anthony johnston thank you (laughs) thank you jason i won't be back Unless I really want to,
0: <laughs> Erica Ensign, thank you.
3: Love is the only mission, idiot.
0: <laughs> and Stephen <laughs> Shapansky, thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Incomparable. We will see you next week.